You're listening to Mind Your Uterus Podcast by Safe to Choose. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Your Uterus Podcast brought to you by Safe to Choose. It's me, your fave, Marie, otherwise known as your host, and today we're going to be diving into telemedicine and how that fits into the grand scheme of increasing access to abortion services. Now, I often tell people I work in telemedicine and I am met with a lot of confusion. So before we dive into this, I'm just going to give a quick little definition of what telemedicine actually is. Telemedicine refers to the practice of caring for patients remotely when the provider and patient are not physically present with each other. In addition to this, telemedicine seeks to provide information and educational opportunities to people so that they can take back ownership over their interactions with healthcare services. In a lot of the work that we do at Safe to Choose, we are doing just that. We are giving people access to information so they can take back ownership of some of the practices that have been relegated to clinical settings only. So in providing people with information, not only are they better equipped at advocating for themselves when they go into clinics, but they're also able to do a lot of things at home, things that have been approved and are allowed to be done at home, such as an abortion with pills. But I will not waffle on too long. My two guests are going to explain a lot more about what Safety Choose does utilizing telemedicine to increase access to abortion services. Joining me today are Pauline and Michelle, who both work for Safe to Choose, and they're just going to tell us about their roles and how that fits into increasing abortion services for women across the globe. So, Pauline and Michelle, without further ado, could you give us just an introduction of yourselves, what you do, and how you came about doing the work that you do? Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Marie. So, my name is Pauline, and I'm the program manager at Safe to Choose. And to give you a bit of background, Safe to Choose is an online counseling platform which supports anybody seeking an abortion, whether it is a self-managed abortion with pills at home or whether the person needs to be referred to a trusted local provider for a vacuum aspiration abortion, a surgical abortion or post-abortion care. And we support users through our website, which has detailed WHO-approved protocols and through our counseling platform, which is accessible by live chat and uh, by email. So really at the core of Choose, there's a team of counselors which have been trained medically as well as on empathetic and anti-stigma counseling methods. Uh, they're based on four different continents and they speak a total of 10 languages. So they're really the strength of what we do and they're able to customize the counseling to fit users in a bunch of different cultural context. Um, sorry, I don't know if I need to give numbers. I don't know if you want to <laughs> hear numbers, but anyway, I can throw this in a bit later. No, that's completely fine. We can, yeah, we can definitely talk about that later. Michelle, could you give us a bit more information about you and what you do? Sure. And I'm Michelle Moore. I am the digital strategist. And I collaborate with SafeToChoose.org on communications and marketing strategies that help with reaching more and more people around the world when in need for information and support about safe abortions. Yeah, that's the gist of it. Wonderful. Again, thank you both so much for joining us. I'm definitely sure we're going to learn a lot today. Um, So just to dive right into the first question, what exactly has drawn both of you to telemedicine? Okay, so... 
I mean, health is obviously one of the most basic human needs. So it's a bit difficult to think about mm -hmm. empowering anybody further if those basic health needs are not fulfilled. Mm. But we know that marginalized mm -hmm. population and minorities have always been left out of traditional healthcare systems. So obviously leading to massive disparities and now telemedicine has completely changed the rules of the game and even though it's far from being perfect right because not everyone has access to internet equally um it really opens up you know a, a bunch of new opportunities for health access in a way that i think can shift inequalities mm -hmm. and you know let's be honest everyone <laughs> looks up for information yeah. online uh before going to a doctor and especially when it comes to sexual and mm. reproductive health um you know, I'm sure we've all Google some yeah. private information that we would kind of be ashamed of asking yeah, anyone yeah. around. Um, and that's, yeah, especially true with the youth uh, that is constantly mm. connected. And so, you know, we have to create those spaces for them that are safe and where we, they can find reliable information. And it's just the beginning mm -hmm. of telemedicine. Uh, it's, it's really the, you know, the path of mm -hmm. innovation lying ahead of us um it's really exciting i think for all of us um yeah we know that nowadays i think about 50 percent of women are mm. online but this percentage is growing and all the new tools that are coming up um it's a very exciting field yeah no definitely i agree with that i think as someone who grew up in a country where healthcare can be a problem because of just accessibility um people being able to get the care that they need or just general information about their own bodies um, from something that doesn't require them to travel is really, really important. Mish, I don't know what you have to say about like what draws you to telemedicine. Uh, well, from my end, it's such a funny story because I've always worked at advertising agencies. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I was never like feeling fulfilled <laughs> with using mass communication service, content and marketing strategies to sell products or services. Mm. So once I had the mm -hmm. opportunity to use this type of knowledge to promote access to sexual and reproductive health resources, I did not hesitate to, to work on this. And mm. uh, well, about my work, specifically for Safe to Choose, as I do collaborate with sister organizations, I analyze the internet's evolution and find ways to, to feed what Safe to Choose provides. So through content on the website or social media, videos on TikTok or YouTube, even ads for, for search engines like Google or, or for social media, I reach users that may need access to mm -hmm. safe abortion. So one day I am reviewing user experience with website developers, designers, okay. and search engines experts. And another day I'm brainstorming on social media contents with communications yeah. officers mm -hmm. and designers. On another timeline, I'm working on ads and reviewing Google's policies. Yeah. All of course, uh, all these goals in mind as I need to, to analyze if the strategies are working or or not okay yeah i definitely resonate with that like before working um in telemedicine and kind of with this platform i had a love-hate relationship with the internet because i don't know like when it just doesn't have a purpose behind it it can be so damaging sometimes but i think working here has kind of allowed me to see okay these tools that really can reach a lot of people can be very much useful but before we like dive into you know how useful it is what we hope it looks like and all of that stuff i'd like to just kind of 
allow the audience to understand both your roles in telemedicine because one thing I know that comes up when I tell people I work with like telehealth telemedicine is they don't really know what it is um, and then I think because we work in it so many times we're just like we're used to knowing what it is so maybe if you could tell us what you guys do like your role specifically and how that feeds into the work that Safe to Choose does. So Safe to Choose is a pioneer in what we called he health Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a social enterprise which basically Mm -hmm. uses all the digital tools to to support people that are seeking abortion and to help them navigate all the options available to them because it can be a bit overwhelming um, and each situation is different but I think our focus is really to improve the user's agency over their body and their lives by by sharing mainly demedicalized information um, on the procedure and on self-care, which I think is, is really the, the future of telemedicine. Um, you know, having access yeah. to information about a, a procedure that you can mm-hmm. do at home on your own terms or even in the case of surgical abortion or manual vacuum aspiration abortion, mm-hmm. it, it's making you more prepared. Um and putting you in a position where you can ask the right questions, you know, when when mm-hmm. you come to that procedure. And I think that's extremely powerful to mm-hmm. have that um, resource available. And Safety Choose does that globally for, you know, everyone in the world who has access to our website. And it can be really in remote places. Um, and it's translated in eight languages. So we really receive requests from all over the world. And we are able to to respond also with mm-hmm. an individual touch and customize the, mm-hmm. the counseling because our counselors are from all over the world and and they can relate mm-hmm. to the user experience and provide this um, individual support. So um, I yeah. think what's important that you've brought up is that it's not only um, telemedicine in the sense that, you know, you're getting healthcare from a provider, but rather that you're really decentralizing it by educating people. So you're allowing people to take agency over their lives and their bodies by just knowing more about what it is to receive certain procedures or to go through certain procedures. So like you said, not only is it information about what you can do at home, but I often think a lot of the times people don't necessarily have a good relationship with the healthcare system because they'll walk into a healthcare setting and they feel like they don't know enough to really ask questions or to challenge certain things that are being proposed to them. So I think what's really great about providing people information is that you're also kind of taking away this power that's found in just one location that's a hospital or something and giving it to the rest of the people. Mish, I know you mentioned that you yourself kind of do more of the the Google stuff and the ad stuff and all of that. So how does your work fit into telemedicine and, you know, the work that Safe to Choose does? Well, yeah, for, from my end... Uh, I just wanted to to add that about the telemedicine that it also helps like people that uh, the fact that some medical providers I believe or maybe it's depending on the country but are quite scary for certain mm. patients no these yeah. combined with the taboo yeah. around birth control abortion even the awkwardness mm. of someone inspecting your body well mm-hmm. yeah definitely telemedicine is another channel too. Yep. To be able to to suit to this type of patients, uh, yeah. From from my end, uh, besides like ads and all that, I, I I need to to be creative and find ways to deliver like the message that abortion should be normalized, uh, or to to allow people to know they can uh, speak with someone like the safe to choose counseling team. 
this by generating anti-stigma campaigns, they need to consider the sociocultural context of people, uh, like I said before, brainstorming with their communications teams, uh, so we find new interesting ways to normalize mm -hmm. abortions. Um, all this, of course, with a human rights oriented mm -hmm. focus, so it's not like uh, forcing people like you can choose a bird bodies, but helping them understand why is why is that mm -hmm. important for their own well-being yeah no very cool very very cool i think you wear multiple hats mish like at one time um which i think is really what's beautiful about telemedicine in many ways is that we can also have a holistic approach to things because like you said you know there's the anxiety of going into a medical practice but then there's also the stigma and then just the general existence within communities and societies and how certain procedures and certain access to services are perceived so i think what telemedicine can really help with is that you can factor all those things in and ensure that the information people are receiving is one that really honors the multiple layers that something like abortion access has so could you tell us a bit more about some of the most exciting projects both of you have been engaged in because i know just through the work of safety choose like you've described right now but i think through the work that everyone sees safety choose does it's really innovative it's really you know coming up with new ways of approaching some of the toughest challenges we face today so if you guys could tell us a bit more about that about some exciting projects you've worked on yeah sure i mean i'm sure mish has way more exciting projects in the marketing <laughs> uh, department mm -hmm. but um i think for us the some of the most exciting projects are well first of all working with providers uh, being able to you know be mm -hmm. that bridge working with them um, on trainings and learning how to collaborate with them because at the end of the day we're linking them to women uh, or anyone seeking abortions um, coming onto our website and so being able to also be with them on the ground um, is always a great experience but I think what um, what wins it all is is really being able to cancel women and all the ways that we can improve our counseling so with the new platforms that is able to automatize um, answers when our counselors are offline but yeah just being able to to be there for more women um for um in in the counseling to support them you know when when we see that we're actually able to provide a solution and and guide them in in those really difficult sometimes moments and sometimes it's not difficult but they 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 need to find information and it, being able to provide them with that uh is important mm -hmm. and many of them have shared uh, their stories afterwards and we've been working on this uh, testimonial series and and, and portray mm -hmm. abortion and a positive light you know that it's not necessarily mm. a suffering moment that it can also be very empowering mm -hmm. showing um, that side of abortion is is really um, powerful yeah no I think it's really important to be able to kind of bring these stories and just the experience of having an abortion out of the darkness you know like I always think you know the counselors because someone's on their phone all the time and you know just imagine you're in a dark room and then you're messaging the counselors and I think the counselors bring such a light to the situation because you don't feel like you're alone and I think what I've noticed with the testimonial series is that a lot of people are kind of coming out of these proverbial shadows to just say okay we can actually talk about it and I'm also not the only one who's been through this so yeah I think beyond even just 
making sure people have um, access to safe abortions is also a matter of helping people feel as though they're not alone because I think the world does a really good job at often telling women a lot of the times that, you know, they're the only ones and it's them and it's their fault and things like that. So that's really important. Mish, could you tell us a bit more about some of the exciting projects you've worked on? Sure, sure, sure. Um, but first, I would like to say that most of my projects are collaborative. So, so in collaboration with a fantastic and creative team, like Pauline, <laughs> some of the most <laughs> exciting projects, of course, include even the, the IPAS report, Pauline, which you did not mm-hmm. mention, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it all started with a campaign. Uh, we created a, a survey for abortion providers mm-hmm. in order to, to give voice to them because sometimes we focus a lot on on users on women in need but not on, on the people who take care of of their well-being and health right so it was quite exciting reading yeah, all the challenges they of course have all the stigma but at the same time what motivates them to keep on going mm-hmm. i believe that was quite quite beautiful um also um now that she that Pauline mentioned the the testimonials campaign I would mm. like to to include like uh when we started creating the your voice campaign if you visit mm-hmm. safe to choose you'll see one of the URLs is your voice that it was because of that to give mm-hmm. voice to those who have experienced abortion because mm-hmm. the storytelling is extremely important for mm. for people you know that that creates empathy that um lets you know that you're not alone Mm-hmm. Also, one of the most exciting campaigns I think I've worked on before, and also because I really like from time to time to be pushy with people, mm. to to make them like uh, to challenge them about certain topics. Uh, we have mm-hmm. two abortionist healthcare campaign and abortionist normal campaign. So this mm-hmm. type of like wording really yeah. affected some of the anti-choice and even those who. Mm who cannot define if they are pro-choice or not, but mm, in the mm-hmm. end, it's like, uh, okay, so if you have an accident, uh, that means that mm. you should not receive health care. Like, you were driving mm-hmm. <laughs> that clashed with another car and you your neck hurts, so that means you should not have, like, a, like a, a medical provider taking care mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. And that was the <laughs> abortion is normal. And abortion is health care. We, we invited a medical provider to... To answer all questions related to abortion and we have like hundreds and hundreds of questions that yeah people are really curious mm-hmm. and i think that because no one never asked them of course yeah. uh, that's why they never raise uh, the hand <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and i think pe- having the internet and showing people some of the language that they often like take for granted is really effective like i know like you're just saying telling people like think of abortion as healthcare, you'd be surprised just how it can actually shift the way a person perceives the procedure. And it's like, you know, you'd assume that people would think that way, but sometimes like connection is just not being made. So sometimes you have to visually see it um, either through a campaign or through something that's written or through, like you're saying, forums where people are discussing these questions and certain things are being brought up because then you challenge these um, kind of implicit notions that you have in your head about certain things and you realize, okay, I never actually made the connection, but abortion in essence really is just healthcare. So yeah, that's really important but 
on the note of information, um, I know something that people are often worried about when it comes to anything that's built off of a digital platform is that there's going to be misinformation, right? And we, I think we've seen that all the time in our work. Like we notice that there's space for us to provide accurate information, but there's also so much space for misinformation to be spread. So how have you tackled kind of the potential misinformation and how have you combated informa- misinformation that exists out there? Well, that's a, that's a big question. This is... This is a reality, unfortunately, just like in real life, you know, myth and stigma and and false information and pretend pro-choice clinics are everywhere. They're also everywhere online. Um, And on top of that, we know that Internet's algorithm are biased. You know, they were created by a few number of people kind of pushing, you know, the patriarchal or racial biases through their coding. And it's possibly subconscious, but. Still, the result is there. So, like, I think it's even more important for us to be there as well and to create some safe space and accurate information. Um, but, yeah, we, we've had um, instances of, like, URL, you know, using uh, using some, some protocol uh, or, you know, just trying to trick people into finding a website, pretending to be pro-choice, but they're not actually uh, they're trying to send um, an anti-choice message so we have to always stay up to date you know with the new technology the tools the algorithm and ensure that our website doesn't Mm -hmm. get completely forgotten Um, we faced Mm. censorship in the past and still are actually I'm sure Mish can explain a bit more but we we've Mm -hmm. lost our YouTube account our Facebook page our Instagram because we Mm. were apparently sharing you know, harmful information, mm. even though we were only sharing WHO approved protocol. Um, so we've had to mm. face that in the past. And thankfully, we have an amazing team with us, mm. uh, with mm. SEO expert and web developers and even doctors that are helping us, you know, adapt our content to make sure that our information is the most optimized and the most reliable. And we're not the only one out there, you know, all the partners, the amazing abortion activism world and that, you know, working together, always trying to collaborate on on campaigns, on, um, I don't know, open letters or on national events, international events. So we're able to deliver accurate information and, and create advocacy momentum together. So... Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the biggest challenges of our times, even though we see a bit of improvement, I feel. You know, some big corporations are trying to add like a fact check tag or, you know, a filter tag on, on photos that have been, you know, photoshops. And hopefully, yeah, I don't know, that gives us a bit of hope for what can be applied to medical information in the future. But yeah, the, the conversation around fake news, around what is you know, a scientific method and reasoning and how people are trained to recognize what is what is fake and mm-hmm. what is accurate sources is, is definitely, I think, the biggest challenge of our generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think everyone knows about the way the internet is really difficult and the algorithms and I think people are becoming more and more aware of how, you know, they all work. But no one ever thinks that, you know, when it comes to healthcare that there's an added layer of complexity. First and foremost, I think, like you said, there's a lot of censorship, but then also um, there has to be some form of regulation to ensure that, you know, people get the right information because it is healthcare information. Um, And so that can be something that could very much spiral quickly. Um, But it's definitely an added layer that I think it's really 
really important to highlight. Mish, I don't know if you could add anything because I know you specifically work with the very complex side of, you know, Google and understanding all the algorithms and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, and, and basically fake news are also a big pandemic, which is very, very, very mm. contagious. Especially since there is this implicit competition between website owners for visibility, no? Mm. Which uh, throughout the years have gotten out of control, meaning there are no real mm. experts analyzing every site's contents. And is it could be um, as it could be impossible? No, I understand it's millions and billions of people <laughs> using the internet, mm -hmm. and that's why Google, mm -hmm. now that uh, Pauline mentioned and you algorithms, they establish their rules through their algorithms to try to leverage the mm. issue based on data of how users interact with search engines and sites. And trying to, to explain a little bit mm -hmm. these algorithms. And this, in combination with data that depicts how would a fake news site would look like, uh, well, and that's definitely a, a, a challenge, no? Um, because Google mm -hmm. also has agreements per, per country and language. <laughs> that's mm. when the SEO team that Pauline mentioned comes to the show to help us align the website with the rules and prove that safetychoose.org mm -hmm. is a reliable resource. It's us mm -hmm. versus the Google human bots hybrids versus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> versus the anti-choice sites that offer misinformation, yeah. no? And mm -hmm. also social media has its own algorithms. There are many battles mm -hmm. we need to tackle in our daily work. And Google, Facebook, etc. update their algorithms and policies randomly. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God, mm -hmm. we need to catch up with them. And it's a bigger topic that we could focus the whole time solely to talk about this. So <laughs> for yes. now, leave it like that. <laughs> Definitely. No, yeah, I think, again, it's just really important to highlight this because um, implicit also in these kind of algorithms and everything, like you just mentioned, that it's also very language and country specific. And I've heard a lot of people say, okay, well, surely because this is the dominant narrative, whatever, whatever, surely it should be true. But in many ways, you know, if your country and your language is being regulated in a certain way with the type of information you're allowed to receive, that could also change like your perception of how things are and everything. So it's really important, I think, that we talk about this stuff because people also need to be aware that like their biases and their opinions and things that they think are very much like this is inherently what I believe could very much be a direct result of these kind of giants utilizing data and you know manipulating that in that sense um, but that is kind of an issue right that is a result of access to information but a challenge that people usually bring up as well when it comes to telemedicine is that it could be exclusionary um, as someone who works in a country or overseas parts of um, the African continent that don't necessarily always have access to internet and things like that, people often ask me, okay, is it potentially exclusionary, like telemedicine, because you need infrastructure to have internet? Um, what are some ways in which you have ensured that this is not the case or ways in which you've um, kind of adapted the telemedicine to suit even some of the most remote locations that you work in? So that's a great question. And I think even to go back on what exclusionary means, like, yes, it is about internet access. And even though, you know, internet and mobile penetration is increasing every year, there's still today, yeah, are a lot of people that don't have access. And we've seen that with, with COVID-19 and, and the number of people that just couldn't do what the rest of the world was doing and just, you know, watching Netflix when, when we were stuck at home. So... 
um, yeah, there's definitely some disparity in that. But I think even exclusionary means even, you know, broader than that. Like we're trying to be inclusive, um, whether, yeah, whether in our language or, mm-hmm. or whether it's yeah. in, in, in the physical people that we can reach. Um, mm. But that's a work in progress, right? Like we're always learning. And by the way, I invite everyone who listens to mm-hmm. us today, uh, you know, to send us some yeah. feedback about the, the way we expressed ourselves on this podcast or the way we, you know, the content on our website, the designs on our website, the the way the way we try to reach out to users, like we're always welcome to feedback to make sure that, that we're growing on this aspect. Um, so how, how do we try to address that? Well, well, you said it, like not everyone has access to internet. And in the past, pre-COVID, we, we used to organize some community events, some on the ground training. We have consultants in, in different countries that are helping us engage with the users on the ground. So we are able to have this conversation about what they need and, you know, then go back and, and work on, on the service that we deliver to them. So hopefully this is something we can start again soon. Um, but otherwise, when it comes to the website, we mm-hmm. We try to to be inclusive in mm-hmm. um, in in the way we the, the language that we use the design that we use. We have a team of designers that are really mm-hmm. trying to you know create content that is relatable to everyone. And I think the most important is also our team, just our team, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. And I want to thank everyone mm-hmm. uh, today uh, for you know what Safe to Choose is today. So everyone who used yeah. to work at Safe to Choose and who is working now, like this is. A really a collaborative effort but the team is you know multicultural this coming from from different places different experiences speak different mm-hmm. languages and is really you know able to bring culturally sensitive mm-hmm. information in our counselings on our website um, in the way we interact with each other and, and really you know learn from mm-hmm. from all of that so yeah, we, you know, we we always uh, try to innovate and improve. Um, but yeah, again, it's it's a work yeah, in progress. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something we'll continuously, we're continuous learners, which is what I appreciate. And I think it's really great. Like you're saying, um, sometimes it's not necessarily that um, to the road to being inclusive completely just has to have solutions. I think it also just involves a lot of conversation. And I think what I appreciate about the team is just that someone will say, hey, this is an issue that like I know people from where I'm from will face. And we'll have a conversation about it and we'll actually think about, okay, how can we sort it out and figure that out? Um, Mish, I don't know if you have anything to add about just, you know, how how you've tackled maybe not being exclusionary in some of these things. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, no, yeah, and I agree with what uh, Pauline mentioned about that safe to choose. Well, the door is global and so through contents, correct use of imaginary languages, mm-hmm. it's depicting that. Uh, but in our case, mm-hmm. we have also having these issues on on social media, no? Because we have received bans from depicting people like they are, which is absurd. But we need to remember that most of the social media out there was created by people that do not understand the variety of races, mm-hmm. ideologies, and religions, and that is also a challenge. Mm-hmm. And the bots that report or ban our contents are very limited for, for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. because they are bots. Um, so, so yeah, it's like a constant challenge, showing that it's... um. 
um, that through our imagery we, we are uh, supporting people from all over the world but then comes Facebook and tell you no you cannot use that type of images because you're being racist yeah. so it's quite annoying mm -hmm. but I think we're, we're beating it little by little little by little mm -hmm. yeah I'm just hoping that you know anyone who works in tech or works you know with these big social media platforms is also listening because um, I think you know not people don't realize that it ends up being just some of these things that people think they put into place to protect the internet really are just in many ways so biased against those who were not included in the initial conversation when the internet was being created or when certain things were being created so you know thank you for bringing that Pauline I know you mentioned briefly that you know you do some work as well offline could you talk about how you've um, brought together both your online and offline work to work together to provide this information and just get people more access to healthcare services yeah so I mean we we used to to do some events and community mm -hmm. uh, gathering to to explain uh, what we do to to promote our services to to you know, maybe teach about the the protocol and distribute this IEC that's also something mm -hmm. I should have added the inclusiveness that we try to do is you know like print some of our material mm -hmm. in some cases where people don't have access to online services but. I think the main work that we do is bridging offline and online resources. So every users that are coming to us that is, um, you know, reaching out to us because they might be afraid of asking um, about a provider, about a procedure. So they go mm. online because that's the safe space for them. Mm -hmm. And they reach out to us and we're able to connect them to someone who might be actually very close to them, you know, but they don't mm -hmm. know about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And so we have this, you know, incredible network of providers that we work with that we have vetted that you know we we trust and that we also continually train and especially they train with our partner at how to use abortion pill.org uh, who has a, an amazing e-learning platform so we make sure that they're up to the standard and we really connect people that might not have met you know in reality because of the stigma um yeah, because of all the challenges that they face. And, and that's that's really like what we can do in every country. Um, yeah, so that that's really exciting to be able to connect people and, and still stay in touch. Like we don't, you know, abandon the, the, the people that, that come to us for counseling. If they still need us after the procedure, if they still need us during the procedure to chat or send an email or to check anything for post-abortion care, like we're always going to be there for them. Um, and, and we are in touch with providers as well. Make sure we have, you know, this, this quality check uh, throughout the whole process. Um, yeah, so it's really exciting. Yeah, so just kind of serving as kind of the in-between. Like I think of it as in sometimes I'll see something or something that I'm interested in and I'll want to like approach someone about it, but then I just don't know what ground or what footing to start off with. And I think having someone in the middle who says, okay, I know this person and I know you. And I think that's what Safety Choose is doing. It's just saying, we know providers. Um, we're also able to have a conversation with you and start that dialogue and we can bring you together. So you can also enter the conversation if you're someone like seeking an abortion service, just saying, I was referred by Safety Choose choose and that in itself I think is a precursor so you don't have to explain yourself and that really you know breaks down that barrier of feeling like oh I don't know how I would approach the conversation I might be judged or things like that so I think it's really important that you know we're able to do that and that's really important work Mish I don't know if any if any of your collaborations have included 
offline work as well and if there's any you'd like to speak about yeah sure so basically of course the pandemic changed the game for more than a year mm. and still has mm-hmm. for most of the world and that's why we strategize towards creating um like a hybrid online offline consultant mm-hmm. and also uh, a yeah. way to to promote our doings on these online offline ways um, and this could be like through influencers collaborations that even though they are digital, but at the same time, they are already like stars within their locations. So, so that's why we are relying a lot on, on the work of, of, of these uh, offline consultants and probably uh, Pauline already mentioned this, that also they help us um, by providing storytelling of their findings in the form of of blogs or videos. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So so we localize the content and people can can find it like uh, suitable for for their contents mm-hmm. context. Sorry, and of course, well. Uh, in short, uh, offline collaborators are a link between this digital and offline mm. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really important, I think, especially in places where kind of the internet penetration is not as high or just it's something that's still new because I think people are getting the wave of the internet um, in stages, like different places are getting it at different times. So I think having that connect is really great to not make the internet seem like something so foreign and something that can't be trusted because I think in a lot of communities as well, kind of, it's just this idea that like the internet is not something to be trusted um, with certain generations and everything. So it's really good that we're able to bridge that gap. Now, speaking on kind of the work that you do online, I know something that often comes up is like, how do you like handle fatigue, especially given that the work that you both do is so centered around something that is highly stigmatized and um, is just not really it's not everyone's cup of tea when having the conversation. So how do you handle that kind of fatigue in this type of work? I think it would be good for people to hear who may feel like they want to do something similar or are in the space of just advocacy or things like that and they just want to know how to handle fatigue specifically online. Well, uh, if anyone has the, the exact answer to that question, please send it to, to us. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, self-care is the most important, especially, you know, mm-hmm. for a team of counsellors who usually have to handle difficult situations every day because it happens that we're not able to support um, to support someone who's coming to us and sometimes we feel a bit help- helpless and it's not easy um, to handle the situation and, and being all remote and not being able to you know grab a, a cup of coffee with the team uh, after work and so I think the priority yeah, is really to, to create space for, for the team to, to voice any doubt, any challenges before it leads to any burnout. <laughs> um, make sure we always ask about each other's feeling and then take time to share our personal stories and, and create this connection. Um, there's a lot of team building activities and, you know, emphasize on, on respect and open conversation, mm-hmm. addressing conflict before they happen and um yeah making sure we respect ours as well that's uh that's also definitely the the managers uh, to set the example mm-hmm. that that you have to take care of yourself yeah uh, now now if you're on your own if you work on your own which happens to a lot of people mm. that don't necessarily have a big team to exchange like it, yeah it can feel very isolating mm. and 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 just you know remember that there's a community of of people working in abortion and that there's a lot of network mm. and people are ready to to share their experiences to collaborate so you know 
feel free to reach out. Yeah, community is very, very important. And I think, you know, Safety Choose, even though it is providing information and counseling through like abortion services and everything, I think it's also a community. And sometimes if you find yourself just in a space where you don't have access to a physical community or a community that, you know, you're in direct contact with, just going onto the social media or finding things out there is also great. Um, and people also engage on that platform. And I think community is very, very important. Um, Mish, how, how do you handle fatigue specifically? Because I know you work a lot with numbers. Like I see some of the things you do and honestly, sometimes it terrifies me. So I'd be interested to know how you, you know, handle that kind of fatigue, given that you're also working with a very mentally taxing um space which is algorithms and all of these things yeah 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 well as much as i'm online most of the day because of of my work in my alone time i go offline like i am probably Mm. not the most popular person in social media which is all right as i already Mm. use like all my Mm -hmm. energy for it for the war no i I wouldn't be able to keep on building my personal writing because it's like i'm done for the day because yeah, it's it's really tiring. Yeah. Also, because you wake up and then suddenly Google or Facebook decide to ban something, or if it's not f- Google or Facebook, mm. are all the anti-choice people like creating a group to mm-hmm. to to attack, safe to choose, and report it. So it's extremely tiring. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so taking breaks. Oh, exactly taking a break and also well about my work i don't tend to share a lot with people around me what um what's my work about so i have no like personal Mm -hmm. issues with with haters and also on online people have Mm -hmm. no idea this is my work yeah Uh, and of course when needed i'm always supported by my loved ones now they are always there to listen to me whenever i may need it and i never have an issue with with what i do for for a living and I try to replicate this with with my teams that yeah are more related to the search engine optimization or to content creation but like you say they read the comments mm-hmm. or they are the ones that need to be in the front line whenever Google decides to change the game mm-hmm. so so yeah I'm always encouraging them that once their mm, their work is done they they should live and enjoy their their own lives <laughs> yeah yeah I think definitely having Space away is helpful just in general with the internet. Um, it is a great place to get information, but sometimes that can be very overwhelming. And sometimes you can just absorb so much energy from people all across the world and you just don't know when to stop. So yeah, some great advice, I think, for people in general. Um, I guess a final question for you both. Um, you know, we've spoken about, you know, the good, the bad of telemedicine and everything. What do you hope telemedicine looks like in the next 10 years? Um, well, it's, I mean, how, how can we even imagine what it's going to look like? It's just, you know, a new platform is popping up every day and it's hard to say, but it, it is exciting. Um, if obviously if, if we keep the, the attention on, on equality and fairness, yes, uh, it will be, but mm-hmm. with, with the internet penetration, the, the, the mobile penetration, we, you know, there's a potential for us and for any telemedicine platform to reach millions of people in the future. So to really mm-hmm. have yeah, an, an impact on, on the services that you are providing. And um, I think, yeah, the, the focus on self-care, you know, people being able to, to, to have more information, to understand it better, because it will be 
probably more digestible yeah. um, to have even like personal AI, you know, like telling you what's best for you. Mm. But again, AI leads to mm. inequalities. Um, so without relying so much on on doctors uh, for all of anything that can be demedicalized and abortion is one of them. I think that's yeah, that that's what I hope for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Mish, anything that you or you hope it looks like in 10 years? Sure, sure. Well, maybe I want a utopia, but uh, the dream for me would be <laughs> <laughs> that not only more and more people start using like this type of healthcare channel, mm-hmm. but that it becomes easier to obtain computers, tablets or mobile phones in mm, addition to mm-hmm. a good internet connection, just like uh, what Pauline said, no? Because that's uh, one blockade for so many people, which is related to, yeah, privilege. And mm-hmm. of course, maybe this is more crazy, <laughs> but uh, maybe the pandemic makes me think crazier, uh, that it would be great, me as a video game player, the fact that we could take advantage of virtual reality, no? Mm, that could be mm-hmm. so cool to provide yeah. sexual and reproductive health when needed. Because the pandemic, as I said, was another test that proved the need of getting rid of the long distance mm. to the online world. So if VR is used for so many things from entertainment to medical education and even the NASA has used it, why not bring this type of technology for abortion or just yeah. a simple consultation yeah. to talk about uh, sexual and reproductive health? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is, I've never heard that idea, but that would be amazing. Because I think one thing people really wanted is maybe having a form of face-to-face interaction. And I know the time when I did VR the one time, it definitely felt very real. So it may be a way of virtually meeting someone, even though they may not be there, but it's like, you know, a, someone's talking to you, but it also feels like you're in a room. But I will, I could talk about this all day because that's a very interesting idea. But, you know, thank you both very much um, for joining us today on this episode. It's been really helpful to just know kind of how telemedicine fits into the conversation of abortion accessibility and how it can be really utilized to increase accessibility for different people in parts of the world where previously they would not have had it or it's just been perceived as they will never have access to some of these services so thank you very much both for joining us i'm sure everyone enjoyed listening to you both and um, we will have any information surrounding safety choose below with a description for the podcast but that's all for me today thank you all safetychoose.org supports women who need options on safe abortion from wherever they are We offer multilingual online counselling and provide information on all our platforms to demystify safe abortion. And we connect women who want an abortion with pills or a surgical abortion with the right information and when needed, refer them to trusted, trained and pro-choice healthcare providers. We work with medical doctors and experts in the field of public health to give women the best support and care to enable them to make the best decision for themselves. know what it takes to have great sex? It's simple. Contraceptives. Visit findmymethod.org to learn how you can protect yourself during sex. Because safe sex is the best sex. How to Use is an online resource that aims to equip you with the information needed to safely navigate medical abortions. Here are four reasons why I think you should visit our website today. You can translate the site into 27 languages. 
You can travel across 49 country profiles to better understand their abortion laws and process. We offer free certified online courses on medical abortions. And you can chat with Ali, the abortion support chatbot who's available 24-7 to answer all your questions.